and welcome back to the Abnormal Christian. This is Natasha Mason, and I am once again doing our intro. My handsome husband, Brad Mason, is to the right of me and still sounding worse today, I oh, think. Yes, possibly. A little bit worse, I think, than yesterday. Um, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad you're listening. We're going to do this anyway because I don't believe in quitting. Um, I've been losing my voice a little bit the last couple of days due to uh, being under the weather, um, <laughs> and there's going to be some cracking in my voice, apparently. Um, so just hang hang tight with me. Try and get what you can out of this. We're going to be going through uh, the continuation of the study of the book of Acts. Uh, this is the end of chapter 7. We're probably going, we're going from verse 43 to verse 60. Um, I had originally planned to possibly get into chapter 8 in this episode, um, but after doing some study and research today, um, there's so much here that really uh, I want to cover, uh, really to fill out the story of what's happening. So, excuse me. So, uh, well, from the previous chapter, and I'm not going to go all the way back to the beginning again, um, we know that Stephen has been brought before the Sanhedrin, and uh, he is being questioned. He's had uh, a couple false witnesses come up, and the false witnesses have made accusations against him that he is trying to do away with the law, and that he is going to, uh, he's claiming that the temple is going to be destroyed. Um, so, one of the things that I didn't mention in the last episode is that apparently at the end of this chapter, you see um, that there were more people than the Sanhedrin they're listening. It wasn't just the uh, 70 or 71 men. A crowd had joined in, a crowd had formed around, and the crowd was listening to um, the accusations made against Stephen. So we're going to start in verse 42. We're going to go back one verse, and uh, we'll start there, and we'll do the same thing. We'll stop and uh, get into a little bit of what, what is happening in this story. Starting in verse 42. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon." All right, so uh, really interesting in this verse, he, he, he calls it a couple things here. He talks about the, uh, the temples of Molech and the star of Remphan. And so, uh, and, you know, starting off, we had had this conversation a while back. What is the star of Remphan? Um, the, uh, there's been a lot of accusation over the years that the star of David that the, um, the Jews use mm -hmm. uh, could be linked to uh, Remphan. And so in this passage, he talks about it. So went in and did some research looking back at what does it really mean? Um, and apparently, so you can, you can Google this yourself. You can look on Wikipedia. Um, Remphan was a uh, goddess, uh, Ishtar. Ishtar was the goddess. It was a uh, star of Venus. Um, that's what it represented. Um, but um, it was an eight-pointed star, and it was very different. And almost, and I, I don't want to, um, I'm not impugning this at all, but it really looks like a Moravian star. It doesn't look like the star of David at all. It is an eight-pointed star, and it's, it's in its creation. It was in Babylon. It's uh, from the uh, Mesopotamian era, um, but it's a, it's a star of a pagan goddess. And uh, what they had done, what the, the children of Israel had done is that they had uh, fallen into pagan worship and they'd fallen into uh, worshiping Molech. And you, they, they would even go as far as creating food, like uh, little cakes. They would make star cakes to this pagan god or goddess. Um, 
You can look it up as a symbol of Ivana on Wiki, uh, Wikipedia, and uh, you'll see an image there of the star. It's really interesting. Um, but over history, through history, this has also been used for uh, some anti-Semitic things. Um, people have really come against the Jews. Oh, you're using a, a pagan star for the Star of David, you know, and, and that's not at all. It's not even in the same realm um, because you can. it's easy to find this information. So that's what he's talking about. They're really, you know, he says, um, he's going to say, oh, go ahead. I'm going to let you read the next one. Okay, continuing on in verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. All right, so we're going to stop there. There is a translation error here. Uh, in in terms, in a way, it's a translation error in the scripture, um, and it's not that the scripture is inaccurate. It's that the um, the way the translators translated it, um, I think they misunderstood. I don't really know what they did. Um, so in this verse, what he's talking about in, in the previous verse, he's saying that God was going to. Um, he let them caught up and get caught up in Babylon. And the reason he let them get caught up in Babylon, Stephen's pointing this out, is because God is saying, I want to see if you can be delivered from Babylon and see if uh, these false gods that you're worshiping, Ishtar, Molech, all these things, if they can get you out. And then he talks about um, them being in the wilderness, right? He's talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness. Tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Right. This is the tabernacle that the Lord had given them instructions to build in the wilderness, because they wanted a place to worship the Lord. Um, here it says, the, um, it mentions Jesus here, right? What does it say there? Uh, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles. Right. So what he's talking about is this temple or this tabernacle that they had in the wilderness for 40 years. And then after that, they were brought into the possession of the Gentiles is when they went into the promised land. So Jesus himself was not there in the flesh when they went into the promised land. So why does it say Jesus there? Ah, yes. So here's the reason it says Jesus in your Bible. If you're looking, you can look it up in the Bible. It's right there. There's two, two instances where the Bible says the word Jesus and it shouldn't. It should say Joshua. Um, so it's because Joshua was there. Um, when they go into the promised land, we know this. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. So anyway, so the reason it says Jesus instead of Joshua is because, hold on to your pants here, people. Um, in the actual Hebraic root tongue, the name of Jesus was Yahashua. Yahashua. We say Yeshua a lot, which is a current term, but his actual biblical Hebrew name was Yahashua. Translated into English, it translates into Joshua. Um, so what happened here is the translators were translating the scripture, and uh, in the Greek, when you read the Greek, the word for Jesus and the word for Joshua are the exact same word. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of contention over the years about where the word Jesus came from. Um, because if you translate it from the Hebrew to English, you're going to translate it as Joshua. Um, so what the scripture here should say is he's talking about Joshua. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8 does the same thing. The story is talking about Joshua, but it mentions Jesus. And it's because they just mistranslated the name. Um, because in this instance, I'm not quite sure they were paying attention to the context of what was going on as, as far as they were translating word for word. So that's what's going on there. Continue on. Okay, I'll start again in 45 because we only got halfway through that verse. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out 
before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to be, to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him an house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? All right, so Stephen here, again, he's going back. We know he went back and he talked about um, he talked about the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He talked about the 12 patriarchs. Here he's talking about God and he's talking about Solomon. The uh, the Sanhedrin, you have to understand the Sanhedrin and the, the Pharisees, they were really, um, they were confining God, constricting God to the temple. Uh, the Holy of Holies. This is where the Spirit of God dwelled. So he goes all the way back to tell this story about how there was a, a tabernacle in the wilderness and you wanted to keep God in there. And now um, Yeshua has come, Jesus has come, Yahshua has come, and he's come to set us free. And he's uh, come to, to put us together with God, or, you know, that reunification. And uh, you're still content to have him in the t- a building. You're still content to have him here. And so what he quotes to them is Isaiah 66 um, verses 1 and 2. Um, you can look in First uh, Kings 8 and 27, it says the exact same thing. There, you know, it says the earth is the throne. Uh, I'm sorry, the heaven is the thrones and the earth is the footstool of the Lord. And what Solomon is saying, Solomon is saying, God is so grand and so uh, massively awesome in majesty that all of creation cannot even contain the greatness of God, the glory of God. And so Stephen is pointing out to them that while you're trying to contain who God the Father is in this building, Solomon, our forefather, said not even nature, not even all of creation could contain the Lord. He uses the earth as his very footstool. Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Wait, wait, no, the fathers resisted the Holy Ghost? I thought the Holy Ghost was a New Testament idea. Oh, no, no, apparently not. So here he's talking about this, uh, the, the circumcision is the covenant he made with Abraham, that you would be you would be known because you would be circumcised, that we have this covenant, this is the mark of the covenant, right? So here he's talking about something different. He's saying you uncircumcised in hearts and your ears because you don't want to hear the truth, right? So when uh, we talk about being born again and we talk about having a new heart, we talk about having a circumcised heart, which is a heart that has been cut and the old heart is cut away. And now there's a covenant between us and God because of the circumcision of the heart. And so that's what Stephen is talking. Your hearts are hard. You're, you're uncircumcised in the heart. Something that they, they understood because of the, uh, the, the words he's using. They understood what it meant that they don't have a covenant with God because they're too hard-headed to listen. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Right. So uh, so what we have here is we think of... Um 
basically, he's saying uh, all these prophets and all these people have come before, and he pointed it out. We did it. You did it with Moses. You did it with um, you did it with the the forefathers. You did it with Joseph. Um, you're doing it with uh, Yeshua. You're doing it with Jesus. You're. Doing, I mean, he's saying you you've done this all our generations. You've you've gotten rid of. You've persecuted every prophet and every um, every leader that has come along. You've persecuted them, and now and and he makes a he makes a, a poignant point here. He calls them murderers. He's like, you have murdered, right? And Peter, I think Peter, it's interesting to me that Peter was willing to go so far with them, but Peter um, doesn't, Peter pushes them, but Stephen seems to push them a little bit harder. And because Stephen's pushing them harder, they're getting angry. So here in the scripture, it says that they gnashed on him with their teeth. Um, and I think when we think of gnashing with teeth, we think of the scripture that says, uh, there's wailing and gnashing of teeth in hell. Um, but in this context, what gnashing of teeth means here is that they ground their teeth. They got so angry, their their faces are getting red, and they're grinding their teeth. And there are people who are talking back to him and calling him names. And there are people, so there it's it's like uh, giving. You ever heard of giving someone a tongue lashing? You don't actually take your tongue out and beat them with it. You you speak to them. It's a figure of speech. Exactly. So this is a figure of speech here. They're angry with him, and they're grinding their teeth, and they're getting just they're they're getting fed up because now we've denied that we've done this to Messiah. And here, Stephen, this man stands and he's accusing us of being murderers. He's accused us of not even following or obeying the law, which this is honest truth. He's, they brought these false witnesses in there and they're violating their own laws by bringing in false accusers. So continue on. But he being full of the Holy ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. All right, so so uh, yeah, we got this picture. He's standing here, and he's they're they're angry now. They're just furious, and they're angry with Stephen. And he's saying that, that we violated the law, and he's saying we murdered this Messiah that he claims is Jesus. And then Stephen, uh, through the glory and power of God, his eyes are open, and he's able to see into the spiritual realm. He's able to see into heaven, and what does he see? And what does he say out loud? He says, "Not only have you killed this Messiah, but I see him standing at the very right hand of God." And now they are just in a fury because now. They have a reason to get rid of him because they believe that he is blasphemed. He is saying that the Messiah, that he believes this Jesus is the Messiah. And you're saying he's standing at the right hand of God because we killed him. You blasphemer. And so there, they, the scripture says they rush to lay hands on him. They ran up upon him with one accord. Right. So they rush in. They, I mean, the, the, the crowd and the, the people, they just rush to get to him and take him. So then continue on what they do with him. And cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Uh, so, uh, here, interesting, Leviticus chapter 24, verse 14, lays, it outlines the, um, the way that you are supposed to um, stone someone for violation of the law, for breaking the law of God. You were to put them to death in a certain manner. One of the things were you were supposed to put them outside of the camp. You didn't do that in the camp. So they immediately grab him up and they take him and they take him outside of the city to do this because they're putting him outside of the camp so they can stone him. So on one hand, uh, there's something... Uh, 
Very interesting here. In one hand, they're they're disobeying the law. They're breaking the law through the things they're doing, but they're still trying to be obedient to it in some sense by doing the things that it said to do. Take them outside the city or take them outside the camp and then stone him there. Um, the witnesses, so the scripture just says the witnesses took off their clothes, uh, took off their, sorry, read that one more time. Oh, oh Jumping around. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> what am I supposed to read? Uh, where the witnesses are taking off their garments. Okay. Laying them at the feet of Shaul. That would be his Hebrew name. Okay, hold on. Sorry. My it's quite right. Anyway, so while she's looking for that, um, so they're taking off their garments. So this is an indication. Um, typically, you think about how you do it now. They did it the same way then. If you're going to do some work, say you're going to go chop some wood or you're going to go outside or you're going to go for a run, you're going to go for exercise, you would take off a garment because you didn't want to sweat, you wanted to cool off, um, and you wanted to have that, um, that ability to move about freely. So what does it say there? Uh, verse 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. So the witnesses that is talking about here are the false accusers. So uh, according to this, the um, the actual false accusers, when they went to stone somebody, would be the first ones to throw the rocks because they're making the witness, the, uh, the accusation against this person. They're making the testimony against this person. And when it came down time for punishment, they got to be the first ones to punish. So here they are. They're taking off their coats and they're laying them down. And they're putting them at the feet of Saul. And we know Saul is later called Paul. So here in this whole thing, we have one of the chief persecutors of Christians. Um, Saul is here and he's, he's witnessing this. This is the first uh, time that this is going to happen to a believer. The very first time other than Jesus himself um, dying on the cross. But this is the first one of the church who becomes a martyr. And uh, who is who else is there except Saul, who is going to become Paul, one of the, uh, the greatest disciples that there's ever been. Um, and so continue on. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. All right. So then that's the last verse, correct? Mm -hmm. So we're going to go back. Um, one, I think it was two verses maybe above that. Um, it, it says uh, he prays. Basically, they're stoning him, and Stephen cries out, and he prays. And to read that, um, he says. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, right, receive stop. my spirit. So they stoned Stephen. And, and this is where, okay, so there's, this is, <laughs> you're not going to believe this. But anyway, so they say they stone. it says they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. And he cries out to the Lord Jesus, right? That's what it says in the verse. If you go through and you look at the actual uh, original text, um, it does not say, and he cried out to God. It doesn't say that. That's not in the, the every commentary that I've read, and I went through at least 14 different commentaries on this, uh, Schofield, I mean all of them. Every one of them says, we don't know why this is in there. We don't know why the translators added that he was calling out to God. What he was doing here is they were stoning him, and he was praying directly to Jesus. And he was, he was commending his spirit into the hands of Jesus himself. Um, so the translators, what I think they probably did was they assumed that Stephen is praying to God. And so he's speaking in the name of Jesus. And so they added that part to the scripture verse there. But that's not actually in any of the original text. Um, but it's there. So I don't know. 
Um, and, and honestly, that's a nitpicky thing, right? Because Jesus is God and God is Jesus. Father and the Son are one. Um, but again, I don't know why they added that. Um, so interestingly enough, you see something here at the end where they're, um, they're stoning Stephen. And he's praying and he's commending his spirit into the Lord. And, he, and he's saying something. Um, he doesn't want the Lord to hold this against them. Um, he doesn't want the Lord to uh, seek vengeance on them for what they're doing, because I think Stephen understood the same thing that I keep saying is that even our enemies, uh, when you die, it, death is eternal. It's, it's fine. It's, it continues on forever. It doesn't um, stop. And so if we wish someone to die or we wish that God would exact vengeance on this person, Lord, kill them. Um, that's an eternal state. That's There's no uh, repenting out of that. Once you're dead and you're in hell, that's it. You're not getting out. And Stephen knows this. This is the same thing Jesus prayed when he was on the cross. And so he is uh, emulating Christ in the same fashion. He's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Stephen is saying the same thing. Lord, don't hold this against them. Please don't hold this against them because these men could walk away. And what would have, what would have happened if the Lord had held this against them? Saul would have never become the man he needed to be. It's these kind of instances that help Saul um, when the Lord calls him make that transition because he knew what they had done. And if the Lord had held it against him, he may have never become Paul. He's laying a foundation. Correct. So at the end of this verse, uh, the end of this chapter, the last verse, can you read that for me? And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Right. So one of the things you have to understand about um, Hebrew writing uh, in this time period is uh, is that it doesn't mean that he did not feel pain from the stoning. Um, stoning is a brutal thing. You got to think about stoning is really brutal. Um, the way to die from stoning is primarily going to be being struck about the head. I mean, if they're throwing rocks at your body, your internal organs will get damaged. But they're going to take a right. long time. They're going to drop a boulder on you to kill you. Um, so you're getting hit in the face, and you're getting hit in. This is brutal. This is not um, anything pretty. This it's is very a, up close. And yes, personal. very ugly way to kill somebody. Um, and here he is, and he's dying. And, and Scripture says there he fell asleep. Um, in the uh, original, uh, when they would talk about people dying in the Old Testament, um, they would say they fell asleep as a way of honor, as a way of respect that this person has passed away peacefully. Um, and so Stephen is, is here, maybe he's knocked unconscious or, he, or whatever it is. Um, but the writer Luke is saying that, um, he went away peacefully and he, it was just like he fell asleep and, and he was gone. Um, so one of the things I want to point out here too, at the end of this, so Stephen is the first martyr of the church. He's the first man to be killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They did not have a trial for Stephen at all. Same thing they did with Jesus. Um, Stephen is, uh, he's accused he is. Uh, he makes them angry, and they kill him, which a is a frenzy, right? Kind of. Which is a violation of the law itself. They were supposed to have a trial, but they did not have a trial. Um, and so you're looking at this, and it's just like you're taking them out to that side of the city, outside of the camp, as the law commands you to do. But you're violating the own law because you didn't even give them a trial. You just killed the man, um, which is just crazy. So here, the uh, the uh, commentaries and a lot of the scriptures here uh, that you go back and you read different people talking about. And they say this is a, probably a crowd of people who've, who've gathered and they're wanting his blood. They're wanting him dead. Um, don't really even know if the Sanhedrin even took per, part of this. They usually stood back and watched. They were the judges who stood back and the people could be the executioner in these instances. And so Stephen is put to death here and um, and it's it's... It's appalling to think that he's stoned to death. It's crazy. Now, the one thing I want to point out that flies in the face of everything we hear in current society today is Stephen was never resurrected. 
Now, wait a minute. This Stephen was a holy man. Stephen was one of the, he was one of the few of the seven deacons that was chosen. It's, it was the uh, top of the deacons that were chosen. Stephen stood here and pre- preached the word of God and he preached the law and he preached the prophets and he told the Sanhedrin the truth and he was stoned and killed. And you don't read any more scripture that says somebody walks up and resurrects Stephen from the dead. Why is that? Because what we hear today in society is that if Jesus did it, we should do it too. If Jesus raised the dead, we should do that. If Jesus healed the lame, we should do that. So here you have the very first martyr in the church, the body of Christ, who stays, and I'm not being disrespectful here, but he stays dead. He doesn't get resurrected. He doesn't get brought out. Where were the other disciples? Where are the apostles? Where are the ones? Where's Peter and all this? Why aren't they resurrecting him from the dead? Why aren't they bringing him back? Because it has to be understood that the 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 cost for following after Christ can oftentimes lead, especially in the early church here, it can lead to your death. It's going to cost you greatly. But look at all the things that we get from Stephen and uh, him him going through the situation. And and what I want to po- pose to you here is six different points. Um, it's, a, it's the picture of a dying servant. And um, so number one, he enjoys divine presence and the power of God. While he's in the middle of with these uh, men and they're accusing him and they're falsely accusing him, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fills him and he speaks with power and authority. Number two, Stephen is lifted above the situation. So he knows all of these things. Remember they said they looked upon his face. It was like an angel. You know, he's lifted above this situation of their their accusations and the false lies that are, are pressed against him. Number three, he enjoys the full view of his heavenly redeemer. So Stephen, in this, in this dying saint moment, he gets to see the Lord, right? We've heard this from a lot of people who've passed away, or you've heard these stories of someone who's on their deathbed, and they'll look and they'll say, oh, I see Jesus. And this, it's the passing of that saint who gets to see the greatness of God coming for them. Uh, number four, he shows, Stephen shows the spirit of his master. Even in the worst possible situations of him being put to death under the most brutal conditions, he still reflects the very master who lives in his heart because he utters the very words that his master utters. Father, forgive him. Lord, don't hold this against him. He says the same thing to Jesus says. Number five, he has a peaceful death despite the violence, despite the brutality of what they're doing to him. Um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you can find that, it's an older book, but it, it lists all of these ways that people have been killed over the centuries, and there are countless stories of believers who died brutal ways, but they were peaceful in that death because the Lord gave them this peace and mercy, even in their trying, the last trying moments. Um, and the last thing I would say here is number six, that he left a blessed memory behind because we look at him and we look at that situation and we say that man was able to stand in the face of death and still proclaim the greatness of God. Uh, you know, there's so many times I could say, I don't know if it ever came to me, how would I deal with that? But I would like to think maybe that I would deal with it like Stephen did that I would proclaim the glory of God all the way to my death, that I would proclaim the forgiveness of God, even to those who might accuse me or kill me. You know, there's no greater thing to say than, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. Um, Just, you know, don't hold it against them. Um, We know vengeance is of the Lord, but mercy and love and truth are his too. Um, Because out of these situations, even in today's current world, out of the horribleness that comes out of it, people like Paul, can walk out of a bad situation and remember that time that he participated in something so horrible, but it so deeply affected his ministry and his life. And that is the greatness of God. Um, so that is the end of chapter seven. And I really wanted to get through all this because there's so much here with the death of Stephen um, that really rings true to uh, what we see as the body of Christ. Um, we're going to look at chapter eight next week and we'll start getting into that. Um, 
I really want you, if you get a chance, read back through chapter seven, read this story again, really soak it in, think about it, think about what happened to Stephen. I mean, I really sat and thought about the stoning because that's just, you know, I was just like, man, that's that had to be brutal. That just horrible thing. Um, but just consider that, pray about it and, uh, study on the word of God, check us on all the things we say, and, uh, we'll be glad to uh, continue on enjoying the study of the book of Acts. Um, until we talk to you next week, we hope you have a great new year. Bye.